0: You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Dear, dear Saints, I heard a story this week. Uh, it was kind of nice. It was about a little girl who was watching a sheep eat grass in a field. That sounds nice. She was eating ice cream watching the sheep eat in this in this dark green grass. And she thought to herself, look at how beautiful and white and clean that lamb looks there, that sheep looks, eating the grass. But then something happened. It started to snow. And as the snow fell down and covered the grass and covered the sheep, all of a sudden, the girl looking at the sheep says, wait a minute, it looks different now. Look at how dirty, how filthy that sheep is. Compared to the white snow all around it. And that is, this is kind of a nice story. And I, and I think, I think that's something that we should at least begin reflecting on as we come here to celebrate the Paschal feast that that Jesus has in fact died for our sins and He needed to die for our sins. We are tempted to think of ourselves natively as if we are good people. We're like the sheep there with the nice dark green grass. We look pretty good, especially when we compare ourselves to other people or when we hear about the news, see all the tragedy that's unfolding. We, We think that we are pretty good people. And I suppose we might be right. We might be above average on the goodness scale. But when our life suddenly stands in contrast to the holiness of God, to the righteous demands of God's law, then our filthiness begins to show itself, like the sheep in the snow. Then we start to recognize that we are, in fact, sinners. That we have broken God's law. That we are guilty, right down to the core, not only in the things that we do, but also in the things that we say, and the things that we think, the things that we fail to do, and because of this, we ought rightly to be judged by God and condemned by Him. Now, we have to know this. If we want the cross of Jesus to make any sense at all, if we think of ourselves that we are good people, that we can impress God and the world by our own fantastic abundance of good works, Then we are in trouble. Because there's no reason. There's no purpose for Jesus to suffer. To die. To shed His holy precious blood. If, if we, by all of our great and good intentions, can impress God and earn our way to heaven, then the sacrifice that Jesus makes on the cross makes absolutely no sense. It was unnecessary. But if we are indeed, poor, miserable sinners who are trapped in our own sin, who cannot save ourselves, Then we can begin to see the cross of Jesus for what it truly is, a rescue mission. Rescuing you and me from sin and death and the devil. And knowing, and knowing that that is what Jesus did on the cross, we can then begin to have joy in what Jesus accomplished on this day, in his resurrection. Because this resurrection of Jesus is a public demonstration of the success of his mission. Now, it's a lot more than this, to be sure, but we don't want to miss this this point, that the resurrection is God saying, I accept the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, that the redemption for sinners is accomplished, that salvation is won, that forgiveness and mercy are established. And by this, the resurrection of Jesus becomes the cornerstone of our faith. Now, now make no mistake, when we say the resurrection of Jesus, we're talking about the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus. This is why the church has this beautiful Easter greeting, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. That, that, I think that whole greeting was crafted so so all to fit around that indeed. In other words, in truth, in fact, in history, that Jesus resurrection is in fact a true event. It's not a oh, I hear that I heard this in the last couple of weeks that the resurrection of Jesus is a is a spiritual truth. As if the resurrection of Jesus is just, it's for us to believe something good about Jesus, but it didn't really happen. Or someone said that the resurrection of Jesus is a true myth. In other words, it didn't historically happen, but it teaches us some other profound truths. No, this is not the case. It is not a story. It's not a fable. It's an event. It's a fact. It happened. The grave of Jesus was and continues to be empty. I heard a survey. Now, I went, okay, I went looking for this survey this week, again this week to try to confirm the truth of it, and so I'll just, I could not find it. So let me just say this. I heard rumor of a story. Maybe this survey is a true myth. (laughs) But the survey went like this. Now, I think it's good for us to reflect on that. They did a survey of Christians, and they asked this question. They said, if they found the body of Jesus, would it change your faith? If they found the dead corpse of Jesus somewhere, and they knew that it was him somehow, they found it there, would it matter to you? Would you still be a Christian, or would you not? And most of the people answered the question and said, it wouldn't matter. I'd still be a Christian. That is not how St. Paul would answer the question. And it's not how we should answer the question either. Our faith is built on the fact, the fact, that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And this is the point that St. Paul is getting at in the epistle lesson that we had from 1 Corinthians 15. Now, that's what I want to meditate on with you all this morning. Because in this text, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 24, St. Paul gives seven reasons that the resurrection matters. Or maybe even this, seven seven ways that not believing in the resurrection destroys and undermines everything that we stand for. Paul wrote this letter to Corinth. Corinth was a wild place. It was right there on this isthmus so that In the ancient world, the sailors would come down there and instead of sailing all the way around the southern part of Greece, they would stop their boats there in Corinth and there were slaves who would then pull their boats a couple of miles across the land and then they'd get back and keep sailing and it would save them like three or four days. But while their boats were being hauled across this little bridge, they would go and do their sailorly thing in Corinth. And so there was this huge uh, kind of metropolitan mix that was there. It was a particularly rough and godless kind of place. Paul arrived there in December of the year 49 on his second missionary journey, and he had been he had been beaten up and kicked out of cities all the way from Macedonia, from Philippi to Thessalonica and Berea, and he'd had a bad time in Athens, and he went over to Corinth, and he was thinking it was going to be another bad time. In fact, he was ready to leave the city altogether when the Lord told him in a vision, hey, stay here, I've got people here. Don't be afraid, I'll protect you. And so Paul stayed there for a year and a half preaching in Corinth, and, this, and the church was started there. It's really cool, kind of an amazing story. But Paul then went on and he went back to, uh, to Jerusalem and he came back and he was in Ephesus about five, four and a half years later, he was in Ephesus on his third missionary journey and word got back to Paul from Corinth in Ephesus, across the little Aegean Sea there, that things were not so good in the church, that they, there was factions, people were fighting with each other, there was immorality, the The worship service was crazy, people were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, all this, it was, it was a mess. And the worst of all, perhaps, is that Paul got news that some in Corinth were doubting the resurrection. That the idea, and, and this is, and we shouldn't, I suppose in this way, be too hard on the Corinthians because there's this idea that all of us have natively that rejects the resurrection. Whenever we think of eternal life, we think of the eternal life of the soul and we think that when we're, when we're dead, we're dead. Our body goes to the grave. I've heard this so many times. That people will say, well, when I'm dead, I'm dead. My body's done. I'm done with it. Just, you know, put it in a box, throw it in a lake. I don't need it anymore. I'm done with my body. But this is just, this is how it was in Corinth. They thought that there was no resurrection of the body. That once they died, they were done with the body. So Paul hears about it and he writes this letter. And all of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he's addressing this thing. But we want to pay careful attention to the verses there because in these Twelve verses, Paul is going to list seven problems that happen, seven results that happen if we deny the resurrection of the body, if we act as if the body is not raised. And here they are. Number one, if the body isn't raised, then Jesus isn't raised. Verse 12, you can see it there in your bulletin, Paul says, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Now, I want you to notice how Paul starts with the resurrection of Jesus, the real, true, indeed, fact of the resurrection. And he says, if you deny the resurrection of the body in general, you deny the resurrection of Jesus. So we need to simply apply this to our own thinking. Your eternal life, dear saints, your eternal life is not the everlasting life of your soul. That's not what we talk about when we talk about eternal life. Your eternal life is your body and your soul together in the resurrection. And if you deny this, if you think that your eternal life is just the kind of bodiless soul floating around on the clouds looking for a harp or something like this, if that's the picture that you have of your own eternal life, then Paul says you're denying the resurrection of Jesus. Now, let's just hammer this point home so that we know it, is that your grave, one day, you and I will be laid to rest, will be buried, or something will happen to our bodies, but that your grave, your tomb, will be as empty as the tomb of Jesus. Your body will be, this body will be raised. That's what we talk about when we talk about eternal life. And to deny that is to deny the resurrection of Jesus, point one. Point two, Paul says, if the dead are not raised, our preaching is empty. Verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Vain means empty. It means wind. It means there's no content to it. It's just sound, but there's no substance. If there is no resurrection, if Jesus is not raised, then all of the preaching of the church, all of the teaching of the church, all of the writing and the singing of the church, and the Bible itself is just emptiness. It might sound nice, but there is nothing to it. It's vain. It's vanity. It's beautiful and elegant nothingness. The preacher might sound nice, But if Christ is not raised, then the preaching is nothing. And then Paul says, point three, not only that, not only is the preaching vain, but also our faith is vain. This also is in verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is vain. Your faith is in vain. Your faith is empty. If you you could picture your faith like a basket some sort of big woven basket or, I mean, whatever Easter basket if you want, I suppose. Picture whatever basket you want. And Paul says this, if the empty tomb is not in the basket, then the basket is empty. Now we say, but wait a minute, St. Paul, wait a minute. i got a lot of things in the basket. I've got, I, I have a, I've got Moses and the Ten Commandments in the basket. And I've got even the creation of the world is there in the basket. And I've got the cross of Jesus in the basket. And the Lord's Prayer is in there. And a lot of other things. I've got a lot of stuff in my basket. I've got a lot of stuff that I believe in. But but Paul says, if the empty tomb is not in the basket, then none of it matters. It doesn't count. It's empty. You're believing in nothing. If you do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, you might as well throw it all out. In fact, he's going to make that point explicitly after the text that we have today. So that if Jesus is not raised, if if there's no resurrection, then Jesus is not raised, our preaching is empty, our faith is in vain, and, number four, Christians are liars. Verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Paul says that if Jesus is not raised from the dead, and if there is no resurrection from the dead, then all Christian preaching is nothing but a lie. I saw a chart. Uh, now, this I did look up and confirm that this is true. I so I did find this chart this morning, actually, about the preaching of the apostles, Peter, Stephen, and Paul, in the book of Acts. And it had to do with what they preached. And the chart said this. Eighty percent of the sermons in the book of Acts talk about the suffering of Jesus and the cross. 70% of the preaching in the book of Acts talk about how Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. 40% of the preaching in the book of Acts talks about the judgment day. But 100%, every single sermon, Bible study, lesson given in the book of Acts talks about the resurrection of Jesus. 100%. It is what they preached. It is what the church preaches. And if it's true that the dead are not raised, then everything that we say and we preach, all of our theology is wrong. It, because we don't just say that Jesus was raised from the dead, we say that God the Father is the one who raised him from the dead. Now, as a little aside, you, and you all know this, our, our, our culture has the, this idea of, uh, of truth like this, that you have That there's your truth, and there's my truth, and that there's all these kind of different truths. You know this, how this goes. There's, you might have your truth, and it's different from my truth, and all this sort of thing. That is not how St. Paul thinks. He, He says we have made a claim that Jesus is raised from the dead, and that is either truth or a lie. Those are the only two options. It's true or it's false. And the preaching of that truth is either preaching truth or preaching a lie. This is what we said: we are found to be liars if we, because we testified that God is raised from the dead, if the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, then we are liars. Fifth, if the dead are not raised, your faith is futile. Now we have to look at this. It's, it's in verse uh, 17. Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Now, what is the difference between a vain faith and a futile faith? I had to think about it a little bit, too. Because it seems like they're very related, and Paul already said that if Christ is not raised, then our faith is vain. But what's the difference here? Vanity, let's, let's think about it this way. Vanity has to do with the content of your faith, and futility has to do with the but the result of your faith. So what is your faith in? If, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then your faith is empty. And what's the result of your faith? Well, the result of your faith in Christ and in His resurrection from the dead, the result of this is the forgiveness of all of your sins. That's the goal. It's eternal life. It's your own resurrection to stand before the Lord in perfect innocence. And Paul says not only is it empty, but it's also futile with the result that you are still in your sins. If Jesus is not raised, you're still in your sins. Sixth, if the dead are not raised, then the Christians that we've buried in the hope of the resurrection are perished. Verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. These, as far as St. Paul is concerned, are the two options. There is the resurrection of the dead or there is perishing in your sins. That's it. And when we deny the resurrection, we condemn all those who have died before us to an eternal perishing, to a death that never recovers. And then Paul finishes, the last on his list, the seventh problem for denying the resurrection. He says, if the dead are not raised, then we are to be pitied. Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people the most to be pitied. All our hope, all our faith is in Jesus, raised from the dead. We have put, to give it an Easter metaphor, we have put all our eggs in this one basket. That's what faith does. It trusts in Christ and Christ alone. We've given up trusting in, a, in anything else, in ourselves, in our works, in our, in our false gods, in anything. It's, it's Jesus or it's nothing. And if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then you and me have nothing. But Paul, I think, means something even more than this. Because, and and you know this, there's basically two ways to live in this life. You live for this life, or you live for the next life. Now, our culture, just like the culture in Corinth, was living for this life, living for today, to have your best life right now, to live life to the fullest, to maximize in one way or another the pleasures of this life. Now, the name for that is Epicureanism, and the creed of Epicureanism, you've heard it before, is this. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. It's dead and dead, so you got to live it up now. That's Epicureanism, and if there's no resurrection, then that is probably the best option. But the Christian lives with an eye to the life to come. We We live with an eye to the resurrection with an eye to the judgment, with an eye to the empty tomb, with an eye to the life that will never end. We, we are not simply living for this life, but living for the life that is to come. And it actually changes the way we live in this life. The world is amazed that we don't rush, rush into dissipation with the world around us. And, and here's the point, because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, our life in this life is not as good as it could be. We have to believe that. That's what Paul's preaching. Because you believe in the resurrection, you suffer. The whole church, I just heard this just coming in, and I, so I don't know all the details, but we as Christians are mourning the, the murder of, what, 150 of our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka. This day, who gathered together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and were murdered. They were martyred. Their life would be a lot better if they would have skipped church. They'd still be alive. And this is true, uh, not in such an extreme way, but it's true for every single Christian, that you are giving something up in this life to be a Christian. Paul says it like this. He, I mean, you've you got to go to verse 30 in chapter 15. He says, why are we in danger every hour? You know how it was with Paul. I mean, he, he was dragged and beaten half across the world. He, he was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was rejected. He was, he was mocked and ridiculed. He said, why, did, why do we do this? He goes on, I die every day. And what gain is it to me, humanly speaking, that I fought with a beast in Ephesus? He was in jail and he was being... Arrested, and they were mocking and beating him and everything else like this. Paul says, if the dead are not raised, here's Paul, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If there is no resurrection, then we should simply live for this life. But there is a resurrection. So the Christian risks everything for Christ and for the life that is to come. Th- think about it. How many hours have you spent praying, or coming to church, or working at the church? Or how much more money would you have if you, if you didn't give your offerings to support the church and the preaching of the gospel? Or how much ridicule from your friends and your neighbors or the people at work, how much ridicule could you avoid if you did not confess Christ? And I think, dear friends, that this price that the world exacts from us for being Christians, for confessing Christ, for being here this day and saying that I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that this price will continue to grow higher as the world comes to an end. There is suffering for being a Christian. And there is suffering that you could avoid if you would forsake Christ. There's a there's a pitifulness to the Christian life if Christ is not raised. If Christ is not raised, we are of all people the most to be pitied. But Christ is raised. He is truly risen. His grave is empty And so, all of these things that Paul lists are not the case. In fact, our preaching is not empty, neither is your faith empty. We are not liars, but preach the truth. You are not in your sins, you are forgiven. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who we mourn and have laid to rest, they are not perished, but waiting for the resurrection. And, dear saints, you are not, you are not to be pitied. Your life could be better if you forsook Christ, but only for a bit. But you have something even better, a sure hope, a sure faith, a sure salvation, that the Lord Jesus, who has gone before you in and out of the grave and into life everlasting, will bring you also through the grave to life everlasting. Paul says it like this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he is the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For by one man came death, but by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, each in his own order. Christ first. Then at his coming, you. Those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end when he will deliver the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Dear saints, Christ is raised. And you will be raised with him. Christ has died, and you will live forever. Christ has suffered, and your sins are forgiven. And this is your hope. In this life, and in your death, and in the life to come. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.